listening to Rebecca and Holly, and we are the directors of a new society called Young Musicians for Social Justice. Young Musicians for Social Justice seeks to bring together and empower young musicians to recognise their potential as agents of social change. And this podcast asks the question, what is the role of music in bringing about social justice? Over the next 10 weeks, we are going to be hearing from a number of different speakers, all with unique perspectives on this question. We are both students at the University of Leeds. We met over coffee at Hyde Park Book Club here in Leeds, which if you're a student, you must go to. And we bonded over our mutual interest in music and social change. We really hope you enjoy listening to our conversations as much as we did. Today we are joined by Jim Reese. Jim fundamentally believes in the benefits of music education and the use of DJ skills to achieve them. He established DJ School UK in 2013 to provide musical engagement in a contemporary format for that cohort of hard to reach young people who are not interested in the more traditional or established instruments. He has 20 years of experience working with pupil referral units, young people and children who are NEET, SCND, looked after, from households suffering with, from economic deprivation or facing other challenging life circumstances that may obstruct their ability to engage with music. Jim was a professional DJ for t- more than 20 years in bars, clubs, festivals and functions, plus created, toured and record with li- recorded with live bands. Under his management, DJ School UK has developed the art form of DJing while engaging thousands of young people under a non-profit inclusive ethos. The DJ School UK teaching method allows anyone to be engaged at the touch of a button, but encourages and educates at levels of demand equivalent to those of traditional instrumentalists. Jim consulted with AQA on the specification for DJ skills in GCSE music, is the vocational consultant to the Leeds Conservatoire of Music Foundation degree in DJing, and has developed AQA unit award scheme certifications. Working in partnership with the Leeds Music Hub, Jim has developed tutorial videos, resource booklets, teacher guides, student worksheets, and CPD training to assist the delivery of DJing at all levels. Thanks for joining us, Jim. Thank you for having me. So before we begin, we'd love to know what music have you been listening to during lockdown? Uh, Okay, so, um, well, specifically at home, just in general, I uh, have to rely on Spotify, uh, which I don't like because I hate Spotify's policies on paying artists. But as um, I'm sure we're all aware, I don't want to get into it, but Spotify pay a pittance to recording artists and composers. Uh, But all my equipment is in the DJ school studio. So at home, I literally have a hi-fi and Spotify. Um, But that said, without going on about it too much, I am loving the new album by The Avalanches and spend a lot of time revisiting 90s trip hop and 70s 80s two-tone ska which were kind of the big scenes for me as a kid what's the reminiscing in lockdown yeah Yeah, it has to be done so let's um turn to now dj school uk which you founded in 2013 can you give us a bit of a picture about what motivated you to do this and um, maybe the mission of dj school uk as well Absolutely. Okay. So um, I was one of those kids who loved music, but was put on the conveyor belt of education because I was reasonably good at maths and science, even though I never really enjoyed them. Um, I loved DJing. I was really into the scene even when I was a teenager. Um, And when I was learning how to DJ, there was no one there to teach us. 
my generation all had to figure it out for themselves. Uh, DJing back then, sort of late 80s, early 90s, really wasn't a big thing. It was still very underground. Um, anyway, my life, it didn't really go the way the conveyor belt of education wanted. And without going into too many details, after a few adventures, I found myself making a living with music, which was great, but a hard slog. Since the year 2000, I've been doing more and more teaching workshops, working with kids and less and less gigs. Uh, and basically, I just found myself relating to the situation a lot of the kids found themselves in. I used to get a massive thrill DJing to audiences, sharing what I was into, expressing myself through music. And for one reason and another, audience feedback changed. Maybe I got a bit jaded and cynical with gigs, but I started to get more of a vibe from teaching kids and seeing that spark of understanding than I was getting playing to adult audiences. Um, add to that, I could really see that DJing was being overlooked as an instrument in mainstream schooling and that it was being considered a part of music technology rather than an instrument in its own right. So I started to focus more and more on thinking, right, A, I want to help these kids out. B, I think I know where they're coming from and see I want to do something about what I consider my instrument being included in education. So I started to teach more and more, less and less gigs. Then 2008, specifically, the bankers crash resulted in austerity measures. And that meant that the youth services and the schools had huge cuts. Music departments were cut, um, youth clubs were cut, plus the school um, schools started to focus on what's called the EBAC subjects, maths and sciences again, uh, at the expense of music and the arts. And I realized that there was less and less funding and less and less time available to schools and the youth sector to have people like me come in as self-employed artists. Uh, so I set up DJ School, here comes the answer, specifically <laughs> because as an established and registered not-for-profit company, I could apply for the funds myself to ensure that I could continue to deliver the work where I saw the value of it and ensure that I made a reasonable living. Um, mm. I'm not going to say it's a good living because it is still a labour of love, but I believe in what I do mm. and that's why I do it. Bit of a long journey then, but sounds... It's been a hell of a thing, yeah. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah. The mission, if you want, I can read the missions off the website because they're here. Um, yeah, please do. So DJ School UK is a not-for-profit company based in Leeds with four clear aims. One, supply accessible, engaging and educational DJ and music production tuition projects and workshops. Two, use our activities to raise self-esteem and teach life skills, especially to the hard-to-reach, disadvantaged or otherwise vulnerable. Three, generate income from corporate and private customers to subsidise our services to young people who will benefit the most. And four, raise the profile of our art form by formalising accreditation for DJs as musicians to levels that are equivalent to the traditional instrumentalists. So it's quite a mouthful, but it kind of sums up after a lot of thought everything about why I got into it and why I do it. Yeah, it's very compact and to the point mission statement but it really does sort of encapsulate everything you've sort of described so that's really good so i mean a lot of your mission statement um specifically refers to or is directed towards what you would say is 
aiming to make music with young people from different backgrounds and challenging circumstances. Mm -hmm. So that's a very sort of general way of sort of summarizing a lot of what you've said in a much more detailed and specific way. But what do you think generally is important to you about music specifically in working with young people of all different backgrounds and challenging circumstances? Um, well, I mean, there's, um, there's huge studies. There's, there's loads of academic research. Uh, it's, I'm, I'm not going to go on about that too much. If you Google the benefits of music education and if you really mm. want to skim read, just click images and you'll see millions of memes just summarising the benefits <laughs> of music education. Uh, I love not that. Even, you know, they're, they're brilliant. They're out there. Um, but on a personal level, I'm thinking about thinking specifically about making music available to young people from all backgrounds and circumstances. I think the main benefits for the individual boil down to those boosts to self-esteem and self-confidence. Mm -hmm. The kids, specifically a kids, whether they're looked after, um, you said NEET, we, 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 we summarise that as NEET, which means not in education, employment or training. Um, the, w there's a vast range of challenging circumstances that we work with and that we believe deserve our activities. Um, and most of them are left, you know, I don't want to use a word that's gonna put them down, but they can be left on the outskirts and a boost to self-esteem, a boost to self-confidence, something to give them a little bit of um, impetus can be all that they need often. Um, yeah. To a lot of these kids, they haven't, either they've been excluded or for whatever reason, it might have been a, a, a bereavement in the family where they've become a carer or it might have been that they made a mistake and have been in a prison mm. it can be anywhere on that spectrum but if they've been excluded they don't quite know how to get back into things and maybe they don't know how to behave in the schools and in the normal mainstream education so something like an activity like ours can just give them that little spark to say here's something i can get on with here's something i can engage with yeah from that what i really rate um is self-discipline which it sounds strict when you think of it in terms of discipline but to a musician self-discipline is such a huge part of what we all do and it's just practice it's mm. just knowing that you want to do it so you do it so you get back up and you turn your kit on you pick your instrument up you go through your scales you go through your techniques and i think that's so valuable for every individual and I don't think it's really recognized when it's forced on people. Mm. I think it has to be self-discipline. And I think music's one of the fantastic ways you can foster that in yourself. Yeah, then of course, there's so expressing yourself, expressing your culture, expressing your mood. Um, they're all brilliant uh, things that kids get from it. And th those are the things that I used to spot when I was starting out that made me think this is really valuable. This is really worth doing. Mm. Yeah, that's really great. I love the idea of thinking about, yeah, thinking about a framework for self-discipline and how that encourages you to see the results and see self-discipline as the sort of pathway towards development and growth and enjoyment and satisfaction rather than something that is forced upon you. Absolutely. Yeah. I know for myself that part of the reason I can sort of be where I am today with academia is because I've had that self-discipline with music and I've learned how to sort of bring my practice up obviously it's a completely different situation and circumstance but it is one of those things that because people have such an innate love for it you don't you build up that self-discipline from the love of music which I really like 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, honestly, I don't think it is a different circumstance. I think the background is mm. different, but yeah. discipline is the same, whoever mm. and however you're applying it. If, you, if you're feeling the benefits, and like you just said, Becky, if, you, if you're reflecting on it and recognizing it and seeing that it's worth doing and doing more of it because of that, it really builds up your, it builds up yourself, you know, rather yeah. than you feeling left out or possibly everything's too easy. If you actually challenge yourself and reflect on it and discipline yourself, I think it's hugely, hugely valuable. Um, yeah. On, on another level though, uh, on, a, on a community level, mm. the other thing we've noticed when we engage young people is that, of course, those kids who are excluded or left out maybe they're seeking asylum refugee kids or perhaps they're traveler kids uh, from the gypsy or roma communities um if they get the chance to engage they develop friendships they meet groups of peers they make networks uh, that can bridge gaps between cultures and it can help kids realize that any ignorant prejudices that might be in the media might even be shown by their parents and their community those kids can say, yeah, but these kids that I've just met are fine. You know, and that basic having kids mix is mm. really valuable on a whole other level than the individual. So it's another reason why we do what we do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, speaking about that, I think you definitely come across as somebody who loves Leeds as a city. And I do love Leeds. There's no doubt about that. Um, and it's a, we've always had a policy. I mean, I was raised kind of to think globally and then act locally so my love of Leeds is because it's the only thing I can affect but um so yeah in Leeds we've got first off you I should mention the Leeds Music Education Partnership so this is the Department of Education funded music hub for Leeds and their job is to work with schools host music centres and ensure music education and support is available across the city now as far as I understand it they were set up as a response to the austerity measures so in a way this shouldn't be needed i'd rather music was still a huge part of music education in schools but they do a great job we dj school wouldn't be here now if it wasn't for the support we've got from the music education partnership and uh, across the city well I, I can't think of any organization i've met who i didn't meet through the education partnership wow um, Okay. So that's how good they are. And I know these music hubs, there's one for nearly every big area around the country. And as far as I know, Leeds is one of the most forward thinking, especially in terms of support for people like a DJ school, because a lot of them think music education is still traditional. Mm. Um, so other orgs I've met through them, um, you've got SA UK, that's SAA UK, who do South Asian arts uh, music. They've got world-class tablet guitar players. They do youth events. Um, you've got the Steel Sparrows, who are a steel pan drumming group. Uh, yeah. Obviously, tying a lot with the uh, carnival that happens in Potter Newton Park um, annually. And then you've got. I mean, I'll just. I'm going to have to just list them because I could go on forever about how amazing all these groups are. But you've got. <laughs> So Artforms, Cloth Cat, Map, Studio 12, um, and then youth clubs who actually aren't music orgs, but regularly book ourselves or some of these other orgs, such as Host, Catch and Arc and the Hunslet Club. Um, they're all really supportive, all amazing groups, mm. mostly non-profit, very focused on helping kids from challenging circumstances. 
And uh, I suppose the best thing to say is if anyone listening to this wants signposting on, um, just because DJ School only focus on DJ music production, we believe in all music. So mm. if anyone wants to find out about any of these other ones, I can just send you links. Well, we will link them all at the bottom of the podcast cool. um, and on our social media as well. It's great just to hear you champion those organisations. And obviously that's what we want to do as well. So cool. that's great. Yeah, you're in um, the right city for it. We are really lucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's also quite motivating. I think during this season of pandemic and feeling as though we're all disconnected, it's quite um, encouraging just to be reminded of what is out there and how much work there is in the, this area. It, it, if anything, it goes into a higher gear every time there's a lockdown. Like yeah. the mailbox just fills up and people are talking about what we can do and how we can help people out. Um, the people are already motivated, so things like this make the i hate to use the cliche but it makes the the tough get going when the going gets tough it's one of those yeah what i'd love to know is what moments stand out for you so what are the moments which have been really memorable and why was it the most memorable yeah i'd love to hear more about that the way i look at it is um it's whenever i find out a young person is happy with the steps they're making so if they're making music and that's what they want to do and they've gone on to do uni or maybe they've we've got a couple of kids who've been signed or who are doing the festival circuit and are actually gigging djs or producers uh, and that obviously that's always fantastic to see that happen but um equally when a kid because this is about self-esteem as well and self-confidence if a kid has simply started engaging and ends up getting gcse's even if they're not in music but I know that they were about to be excluded and then came to DJ school and got engaged again and started to trust educators and started to want to do other activities. If that is as much of a success story for me, you, yeah. is that making sense? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I think um, it highlights exactly what we're about, which is music being a tool for social justice doesn't necessarily mean that everybody becomes a musician and an artist. It's actually absolutely. much more broad than that. It's, yeah, it's about giving kids something even if it's a, a you know just a spark um and when when you then find out often we don't this is one of the sort of weird things we do it on trust because um say a kid comes towards age 11 and they're in trouble in school or something's happened at home and they need an activity and we work with them for six months and we don't hear anything and by the time they're 16 the chances of us even knowing what jesus is they were doing are slim but mm. sometimes, in a, once in a blue moon, someone will get in touch with us, a carer, a parent, the kid themselves, and say, hey, thanks very much for that. Without mm. you guys, I wouldn't have even bothered. I don't know where I'd be today. And it, that means the world. It's, it's really, really impressive. That must be so, like, lovely when you get to hear that. It must be such a nice moment. <laughs> Makes it worthwhile, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's why we're here in the first place. Yeah. What do you think, then, are some of the... What do you think are the, some of the challenges that you've faced in working with children from challenging circumstances? Um, how would you describe or would you ident be able to identify the common pitfalls for music practitioners in this area? I mean, that's something that Holly and I and all of us as a committee we're really aware of is what are the pitfalls that we need to be to try and safeguard ourselves against um, okay. in working in this area? Um. So, well, the biggest challenge, first of all, uh, is definitely funding. You know, there's no doubt at the moment, um, music is seen as 
kind of phrase, second <laughs> fiddle to the maths and sciences <laughs> in school. Um, yeah, pun intended. <laughs> but it's also even, it's not even seen as the equivalent to sports activities or anything. Mm. And I don't want to diss maths or science just because I didn't really enjoy them. And I don't want to diss sport just because I wasn't sporty. But I think everything <laughs> should be on an equal playing field here. Yeah. Um, that pun was not intentional. But <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's, it's really hard at the moment. And, um, you know, you could always say, oh, if we had enough equipment and enough trained staff and permanent reliable premises that the kids loved, this would be really easy because then the music practitioners could focus just on delivery. Mm. But we don't. Uh, and so that's probably the biggest issue is funding, how to get it how to use it. Um, I mean, I can't even beat around the bush here. I spend probably 70% of my time administrating a business and reporting on and applying for funding rather than developing projects and delivering. Um, And I set this up because I saw the value of delivery. So it's a real pain at the moment. Um, Mm, Yeah. But that said, because, you know, we can just underline that. That's a reality is there. But assuming funding wasn't a problem, because you want to know about some of the pitfalls on an individual basis, and that's a totally yeah. different question. Uh, so first up, yeah, practitioners need to face their own unconscious biases. Mm-hmm. So in a DJing um, community, a lot of DJs will do gigs uh, or cover certain genres of music and they won't know all the techniques of DJing. So for me, I do DJ workshops because traditional instruments don't engage uh, kids that well. Say a kid's growing up and they're really into grime or they're really into drill and all that they can learn from their music teacher is the Western classical tradition. So they, they think music's boring. So I set up DJing to do that. But what I see often is DJs who are getting booked to do sessions to engage these hard to reach kids, but the DJ, only does tech house or only does hip hop and doesn't even have any grime or drill or won't even use it. Um, And that is as bad to me as just forcing Beethoven down the kid's neck. (laughs) If if you can't be ready Mm. to adapt to what the kids are into and have a wide range of genres yourself, you're going to fail. Yeah. And the the subcultures of grime and drill are just like changing every year at the moment. So it's just, yeah. I mean, that, that leads perfectly. Thank you for the uh, beautiful. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, the, the next pitfall of trying to be down with the kids. <laughs> so tricky to keep up. No, 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 no. You, no, you were agreeing with me. It's not a diss. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the youth culture moves so quickly. So mm. grime, everyone was worried about. Most people have only heard about drill in the last few years. Yeah. We probably don't know what is going to come next, but it's probably already there. Too many people think they're still young enough to relate on the same level as young people. But A, if you don't have lived experience of whatever challenging circumstance that kid's facing, it, it might be urban gang institutionalization, SEN, which is special educational needs, refugee care settings, I don't care how down you are, you're not going to be down with those kids that are the most hard to reach. Even in mainstream schooling, youth culture moves so fast, like you said, that someone who's only three years out of school, like yourselves, like a couple of years in university, you're already going to be out of date to what the current teens are doing. And this is 
something this 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 rate of change i think is increasing exponentially because each year group even in school uh hating on the previous year groups memes <laughs> and facebook pages you know it's everyone wants to be we are the next best thing we're not generation z we're generation t or what you know everyone's <laughs> going to make something new up yeah because they've seen this kind of tribalism of previous mm. generations yeah uh, and so it is with power of the internet with everything else going on it's speeding up the rate of change and it's impossible so as usual with any walk of life with whatever you're doing you've got to stay true to yourself mm. when you find part of your experience is relatable you'll see eye to eye with the kids but don't ever try and force that don't ever try and be something you're not because yeah. they're just going to show you up and one thing that will always be the same for teenage groups is if they can show you up they will <laughs> if they sense a weakness if they sense a chink they're going to absolutely exploit it as a lot <laughs> and it's going to disrupt you so you need to keep it real chances are they actually really wanted to know what you had to share with them but it's still too cool for a team to disrupt a member of staff yeah and it is to accept them mm, yeah know? so it's it, yeah you've got to you've got to kill the flow with it and have also the practical sort of nuts and bolts skills to steer that disruption back towards the session you're trying to deliver Mm. Um, and it might be if you've got multiple sessions that if a first session gets derailed just make that connection with them by chatting you know there's no harm yeah. in that if you've got multiple sessions because you can you, you'll have made a bond with them as long as they weren't actually taking the mic yeah uh, and it will probably work in your favor so it's, it's a good skill to be able to relate by mm. having a laugh with yeah I don't know that what are you on about fair enough it's yeah. you know that, that can be cool as well but how yeah. to engage a group how to assess a group how approve progress. This is a big one, actually. I've got a little bullet point list here. Uh, in terms of skills you'll need as a practitioner mm -hmm. is um, to get more funding and to get asked back to continue your work. You will have to prove that something was learned by the children. You can't just airy-fairy about with a workshop these days. You need to assess. You need to prove progress. You need to deal with behavior um, and yeah, you need to stay abreast of youth culture as much as possible, but keep it real. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things that we've discussed as well is the challenge of language. And so mm. what we're really aware of is, and you use the phrase, that language is a bit of a Pandora's box. And <laughs> certainly when you're thinking about inclusive language specifically, um, it can feel as though it's a bit of a minefield at times yeah. and that's not to to undermine that or to say that it's not important to be careful but i just wondered whether you had any advice for music practitioners in this regard um well i suppose the, the best bit of advice there is um that all industries have codes that they use because professionals like to keep things snappy so for instance, they're known as TLAs, three-letter acronyms that boil long phrases down. And we've already mentioned a few of them. You've got SEN, uh, SEN, which is Special Educational Needs. You've got NEAT, Not in Education, Employment and Training. Uh, PRU, which is a Pupil Referral Unit. And the problem with these is someone who doesn't know what the acronym stands for is completely in the dark and feels left out, doesn't feel included at all. Uh, and 
there's an example recently came to light where LAX, which is looked after children, LACs, were overheard people referring to them as LAX. And because they didn't know what a LAC was, they thought, or the, the urban myth, if you like, or the evidence, in fact, shows that these kids started to feel they were lacking in something and that language actually tripped them up to that degree. So, and again, that's a, that's a huge bump of self-confidence to a kid who really doesn't need any more self-confidence blows. Yeah. Um, and so w- what it kind of leads to is the, the professionals need to avoid abbreviations. They need to make things clear and always assume that the kids can hear you. You know, in a professional meeting like this, sure, we can talk about things. But if we were in my studio and the kids were even next door, I would be trying my absolute best to talk in their language and in their terms, just because if someone overhears you, you don't want them to think. You don't, you don't want that division between the professionals and mm-hmm. the young people. You want the young people to feel included. Um, yeah. And I guess as well, it sort of, as professionals it makes you think you know why do we need that within even if we're in spaces with just professionals talking how can we sort of break that down to stop using those abbreviations even just as professionals it's a yeah it's a real pain because professionals know if someone else is going to understand it it does speak Mm. up communication and Mm. professionals have always time is always of the essence when we're in in meetings Mm. or what have you Mm -hmm. um Another area where it becomes habitual to use TLAs is um, in funding applications and reports. Yeah. Because you have a word count. Mm. So not in education, employment or training is what six words when you include the ins and ors, but it's one if you write neat. So you Mm. end up always considering it as neat in your head. Yeah. And language is hard. You have to really focus on your words and you have to really think about what you're saying. Um, Also, about language here is going back to the um the constant rate of change of youth culture is the constant evolution of slang um and it can be really dangerous slang and it's it's a double-edged sword because you want the kids to feel empowered and inclusive and part of the session so you want them to be able to relax and express mm-hmm. themselves, which means talking, if it's a second language, talking in their own language, or if it's slang, talking in their own slang. But if you don't know what they're actually saying, you don't know if they're actually being prejudiced or offensive to someone else in the group. Mm. And that can be very, very different, difficult. Mm. Um, specifically, I've got an example in a school I was working in. And I just picked up that two lads were saying a word to another lad. And I could just pick up from the look on the faces and the sort of giggles that this was not a friendly word, mm-hmm. although they were trying to pass it off as. And the kid receiving it was clearly um, nervous. And you, I got the impression that he didn't want to say anything about it because they might bully him afterwards. But it was clear that the word meant something bad. So I had to go and sort of look it up and find out and it ended up being it wasn't slang it was um Punjabi and I had to find out what this word meant and it was a word it was a derogatory specifically a derogatory version of the word for homosexual you know it wasn't an easygoing homosexual it was it was offensive by its nature the word is only used as an offensive way so I had to do something about that and bring it up we're not doing that and from now on in these sessions I want us to only use English so that everyone knows what's being said it's only fair and 
one of the ways I've been able to explain that in certain groups, and I don't like having to do it, as I say, because you want cultural expression, you want people to feel relaxed, but I've done it before by um, comparing it to whispering. If you're whispering, people can feel they're talking about me and it can be offensive and people don't like to be whispered about. And using unknown slang and other languages can be compared to that and help people see, actually, yeah, that's not a nice thing to do. Um, but again, it's a Pandora's box because in a good group, you don't want to have to stop that comfortable expression. Mm, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a balance, it sounds like. When you're trying to create a safe space, you've got to try and make pe- want to make people feel comfortable, but at the same time, you've got to lay down some ground rules. Um, absolutely. If, if someone's comfort means someone else becomes uncomfortable mm. you know if someone is inherently sexist and uses sexist terms because that's how they are then anyone else is going to feel uh, offended so you, it, it's it's balancing everybody and language is a huge part of how you balance everybody's comfort and make sure people feel included mm. the other challenge that i wanted to talk to you about was the challenge of power dynamics between music practitioners and children and because already there's despite the circumstances of the individuals involved already there's a power dynamic that's just created by age difference yeah Um, so I just wanted to speak to you about how you've noticed this challenge and how you've maybe overcome that or attempted to mitigate against those power dynamics uh yeah I mean it is it's a really interesting question um one of the one of the key thing, one of our big funders is Youth Music, who have what's called a quality framework, which okay. we follow. And it has really good advice about um, being on a level with the young people, but still maintaining a professional relationship. So the, the power dynamic is set up right there and then. You, you don't want it to have to interfere, but you know that if the proverbial hits the fan, then you are the one making the decision as the professional in the room. Um, So I try, and DJ school tries as much as possible, to just take that as the bare minimum uh, in that if the fire alarm goes off, they listen to us. But in terms of talking, whoever is talking, has equal respect so we have a policy this is probably the best way to explain it we have a policy where all our young learners are encouraged to act as mentors and share skills with their peers as soon as they know something and so if that means a 12 year old who's been with us for a year has learned a specific technique and an 18 year old works in the door wanting to know that technique we will say right well that 12 year old is going to teach you mm-hmm. And it gives the 12 year old a huge boost of self-esteem and the 18 year old still learns what they need to know and should hopefully be engaged and interested in it um, without feeling like there's a power dynamic between them because then they might see, we will explain to them, DJing specifically, it's quite a new discipline. Um, And so we say to everyone, anyone in the room has the chance to invent a completely new technique in our art form. And we say to the kids, just because I've been doing this, you said 20 years. I think it's a bit longer than that, actually, if I really add it up. But I forget <laughs> how old I am. Um, <laughs> it's, I could learn something new from a kid. And we just said ourselves, grime became drill, became who knows what. 
So I guarantee I'm going to be learning a new genre sooner mm-hmm. or later yeah. from the kids. Um, and because we can sort of mess with the hierarchy by using that fact, the 18-year-old is then more likely to accept a 12-year-old teaching them. And I can show that I'm listening in with the 12-year-old as well and going, oh, that's really interesting. Even if I've learned it, even if I know the technique, I can, for the sake of it, pretend that I don't and use that to um, disable, if you like, the hierarchy that would set up the power dynamic. Mm -hmm. So for us, the power dynamic is really, think of it more as an equality dynamic because we're just happy to say that. But we have that very basic level of, as I say, if there's an emergency, if someone needs behavior dealing with, if someone's being offensive, it will fall to us. Uh, but not necessarily because we're older, not necessarily because we're running things or anything like that, but more because we are the ones who've just, that they've agreed have been chosen to look Mm. after those things. Um, A great trick for this in groups is agreeing on ground rules together with the group, but knowing that you will enforce them and then hoping that you don't have to because Mm. maybe some of the other kids will raise it. Um, And another great thing, is to be prepared for your sessions if you're deliver and this is a key thing for the previous question as well about um not the pandora's box sorry but about dealing with challenging circumstances everything about being a music practitioner if you've got engaging interesting inclusive inclusive activities for your groups whether they're a one-off or whether it's a long-term project whether you know their skills already as long as you're planning in advance so that what you're going to deliver is really going to keep them interested and you've got their respect through building a relationship with them, mutual respect, mm-hmm. not just disciplined respect, um, then power dynamics, behavior, all the other problems that might arise don't, generally speaking, because yeah. you've done something they're interested in in the first place. And that's, that's got to be the ultimate key. Mm, yeah. It sounds yeah. like you're describing a balance between leadership, which is, has more of a focus on responsibility than power, and yeah. then also just good activities and good quality. <laughs> that sounds like what you're describing. Absolutely. And, and relationship building is vital. There's always a balance in there. Everything's on the spectrum. So we're getting to the end of our sort of questions now. But um, Nearly lunchtime. <laughs> we'd, we'd really like to know... For us, we're trying to inspire young people in particular um, to think of themselves as practitioners, to think of themselves as activists as well as musicians, and to try and marry these two things together, which I already know a lot of young people already do. Um, What do you hope to see from younger people as they move from musicians into practitioners and activists? Interesting. very loaded question yeah it's a big question Uh, so i think i mean basically i i want people to be happy i want people to be confident and i think that comes by them being able to make informed choices um so it's whether they're going to want music to be a hobby or a career or you know i never wanted it but i know a lot of people get into music because they want some sort of fame whether it's celebrity or kudos or whatever um I just want people to be able to be educated and aware of what a, any path they're interested in is really going to involve. 
Um, and I know it's a chicken and egg because you learn more from experience than you do from research and education. But I think part of music practitioners role is to be the experienced educator. Generally, someone who's had experience as a musician is a better practitioner, in my opinion, because they can say to the kids, the career you're thinking of might be like this. Mm -hmm. um, as, as my bio says, I've spent 20 years and I've done pretty much every different role a DJ could do. So I pride myself on being able to say to a kid, oh, you want to be doing the karaoke on Saturday night? Or you want to be playing Glastonbury Festival in the summer? Or yeah. you want to do weddings? Or you want to work with live bands and be a, a composer? You know, there's a lot of different paths any musician can take. And okay. I think the more experience you've got, the more you can help them make informed choices. Um, as a practitioner, that is one of those choices. If you're going to become a practitioner, you need to know what you're getting into, why you're getting into it, how you're going to approach it. Um, and with all that in mind, I just want people to be happy with their choices. You know, if, if there's enough advocacy out there for all the possible pathways, then, and if there's enough education out there for all the possible pathways, then people can make the right choices. And we all know in this um, current community, uh, sorry, current culture, a lot of people, a lot of practitioners, a lot of musicians will chop and change. I know I did. You'd move from this to that. You try this, you try that. And I think that's a fantastic, interesting way to live your life. So whatever it is, I, I want to wish everyone best of luck in their personal endeavors. Um, on a personal level, I also hope to see, this is from a DJing point of view, mm. but I like to see things being mixed up. When you've got cultures meeting, styles, genres, techniques, I love to see it being combined and jammed with and played around with. Okay. Um, and it's one of the other underpinning reasons why we set DJ, why I set DJ school up um, is there's, say there's a new group of kids a new style of music, drill, or a whole group of kids from Syria who were asylum seekers a couple of years back and still are. Um, if they're excluded from joining the mix, we miss out on the opportunity to have whatever the new thing is that comes from including them. Mm. Uh, so whether it's a culture, a style, a genre, or a technique, it's, I love the fact that people, practitioners, musicians, everyone should mix and you know, party together, jam together listen to each other, work together. Um, and I think that without providing music experiences for those who otherwise can't exchange, we miss out on those possibilities of interesting new music being made. Yeah, that's a really unique perspective on it. I think particularly with the, with the sort of like focus on missing out on the music. I quite like that. I think it's a really good way of summarizing how important inclusivity is with music, but in sort of like a fun way because you want the new music. Um, yeah, well, there's a really old um, hip hop lyric that says uh, it's about the music you choose because mm. for a while after hip hop had been invented, a lot of hip hop DJs would kind of all choose hip hop to mm. DJ with. Yeah, rap came out where they said it's it's nothing like hip hop music. We like it because we choose it, mm. yeah. and it just turned the whole idea of DJing being about just pick the stuff you're into and then mix with it, and mm. you'll end up making what is hip-hop music which is really supposed to be new music that samples old music but utilizes the techniques of the turntables uh, and that's the that's the key part of what i do and as a musician and what i hope people will do through djing is 
create new stuff by not even expanding the boundaries, just following their heart, you know. Mm. Oh, what a great way to finish. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> but before we do, um, can we ask finally, how can listeners support um, and follow DJ School UK specifically? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so we have a GoFundMe page for just straight up give us the money type donations. We're a non-profit and that always helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we understand, you know, donations are hard to come by and simply using our services is great too. We sell to support um, the work we do with kids from challenging circumstances. We sell private lessons. We do online. We do face to face. We do groups, schools, offices, birthday treats, you know, corporate parties, all that kind of work is great fun. You'll have a right laugh. You might learn something if that's what you come for. Um, but you'll know that the money you're paying, rather than going to another DJ school, the money you're mm. paying was will help out some other hard to reach children. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's probably great. the most fun way to give us some help. Great, fantastic. Well, we'll make sure that we um, link DJ School UK. I mean, if you search DJ School UK, we're pretty good on Google. Uh, <laughs> I think Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, each tag has got some underscores or hyphens or slashes but basically (laughs) search dj school uk you'll find us okay amazing well thanks so much for chatting to us jim um it's been been great thank you uh it is exactly lunchtime as well so that's like precision (laughs) professional musician time (laughs) we can try we can try Okay, so Holly, what did you think about our chat with Jim? Uh, well, I think there was just so much stuff there that he said, really. I just thought it was really like such an interesting chat. He's the first person we've recorded an interview with who's been working with young people. Mm-hmm. And I really liked well, I, I, what I found interesting was the stuff he talked about language being a Pandora's box and about abbreviations, because it's just something that I hadn't really like given much well I guess I'd given thought to but I didn't know about that the lax thing which I just thought was such a like stark example of how it can go wrong yeah totally yeah like in when I've been doing academic reading I always find abbreviations really frustrating because I just lose track of what abbreviation is what Mm -hmm. so I think it's just something that's really interesting to me yeah definitely especially as he's right a lot of practitioners are also administrators in some respect and have to yeah. write the funding application which means that they get used to I'm guilty of it as anyone I get used to using abbreviations because you have to and you're thinking about your word count and before you know it you're it's just become a part of language and it just goes to show how exclusive language can be without realizing it um and I think yeah that's something that I've definitely become more aware of and I'm going to try and make sure I do that less yeah definitely what did you think about our conversation I think he's just got such a great attitude towards um music education which is just he's so humble he is humble and he he, he'll make a joke at the expense of himself which I think is why he probably gels with young people so well Um, and yeah I thought it was interesting thinking about social justice as a form of education we didn't really talk about that from like a more of a macro level but um certainly the education system has just got so many um different issues within it and it's really a bit yeah. to even talk about 
the issues within music education and, and social justice in music education is a whole huge topic. I guess as well, like one of the words that could be used is social change, because it's also social justice is a very broad term and could be used for loads of different things. But part of a word that I think is social change works really well in education because it is about just changing society as we know it and making it more equitable. Yeah, I agree. And what is education supposed to be for if not giving and broadening opportunities? And I think yeah, exactly what he speaks about really well is the idea that music can be a tool for learning and that sounds obvious but also just the way in which you learn there's mm. freedom to get something wrong and there's freedom to um have a chance to try again you know i think that yeah. all that approach that he has is actually mm. such a, a strong way of looking at the learning process yeah definitely yeah i thought that was interesting as well when he when he when he spoke about music being particularly because everyone's so passionate about it creates like a discipline and then it it can bring people out of their shell yeah definitely definitely and I've I think about my own experience as well I'm sure you probably could say the same yeah. like music for me was empowering it was encouraging it was the thing that got me through my tough times in school yeah. because I loved it and it made me feel like yeah. I could do something well so I I don't know would you say the same yeah definitely I mean I was quite the little nerd with my cello and my recorder at school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can so imagine it. Um, but yeah, no, like obviously, as Jim was saying, like music is universal in that it does create that sort of passion and discipline. So yeah, I definitely agree. listening to our conversation please like rate and subscribe to this podcast and be sure to give us a follow on facebook instagram and twitter at ymsj uk have a great week and thank you for listening